Dom's asking me if I have Bieber fever. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Take two aspirin and call me in the morning. Lots to get into today on 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented as always by the GMC Sierra, Merrick Friedman, Dom Tramati as well. All-Star Weekend has come and gone. And I want to start with something maybe a little bit frivolous, but it was one of many geek out moments that I had over the weekend, Elliot. And that was you and Ron McClain talking to Connor Bedard about his hockey stick in the conversation that he clearly had with Nathan McKinnon when he started mentioning P92 patterns that was geek out moment for the weekend for your buddy Jeffy here I would like to say first of all none of this surprises me (laughs) this is your brand it's very loved it loved it well, I think, too, um, you you remember that one of the things that players really do like talking about is the tools of their trade, right? Their, their, the craft of their trade. Like, any other, I, like any other profession. Absolutely, yes. Elliot. Absolutely. Yes. And sometimes me in particular, I forget that. But, you know, I, the one thing I'd like to say is I thought it was great that Bedard was there and they found a role for him because Connor Bedard is going to be at All-Star Games for the next 15 years. And he's going to be a face of the league. If he isn't already, he's going to be a big face of the league. And I, I thought it was a really important thing that he was included and he was around doing interviews and because he's going to be one of the he's going to be one of the cornerstones of the NHL. So I liked all that. And, and you know what? It's an easy, easy icebreaker. Um, at the end, though, I thought it was it was interesting for him to say if it was up to him, he would be playing already. He didn't give an exact date of his return last week. He, yeah. But last he week when of, he got on the ice. He kind of made it very clear that he had said, I'm ready. And the Blackhawks were like, hold on here, yeah. little Connor. We, yeah. You may be ready, but this is not a great idea yet. It says to me, though, it's going to be soon. We, It's not too long until we happily see him again on the ice. The P92, by the way, is the Joe Sackick pattern, which for all of you people that collect mm. these types, this little bit of information, Joe Sackick ever, never actually used. He used a variation of the P92, but the actual one that everybody else used, uh, he never really used that one. Okay, so All-Star Weekend. Oh, want to mention as well, have a couple of really special interviews coming up. One, um, the interview that you and I did with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Very much look forward to that. And also... By the way, McDavid really liked your conspiracy theory. Oh, no, he was he really no, he no, no, no. The way he answered the question, he was at least intrigued by it. He gave you a good answer. If he it was, if he didn't like it, he would have totally blown it off. Like most of your questions should be blown off. But McDavid, he gave yeah. a good answer. So that says to me he kind yeah. of was interested in it. Uh, being the subject of a hockey jersey conspiracy theory, I I guess that that's one that hockey players don't necessarily think that they will ever be part of. So maybe that tickled them under the chin. I don't know. Um, but both Connor and Leon were great in the interview. Uh, you'll hear it a little bit later on. And also, we sat down with the two Ricks. And this was really interesting. Rick Bonus and Rick Tockett and Elliot. I um, mean, you can you can tell this one. This was at a very, very specific time where Bonus and Tockett sat down to talk to us. Yes. Yeah, so Rick Tockett and Rick Bonus sat down with us literally three minutes after the LA Kings announced that Todd McClellan had been fired 
And we told them and they looked at each other. And most of this interview, it really set a tone for the interview because the interview wasn't so much about the Winnipeg Jets and the Vancouver Canucks. It was a lot on philosophies about coaching and and that. We asked them about the coaching fraternity. It's a really good general interview about coaches. Like Normally, I wouldn't be so quick to put Rick Bonus back on the pod after he was just there a week and a half ago. But because of the duo and the things they were talking about and they really played off each other well um it's it's a good interview and that timing while unfortunate for todd mcclellan it was good to hear how other coaches react to one of their brethren losing their job Absolutely. So those are the two interviews we have for you coming up a little bit later on. There'll be other interviews that we did last Friday that we'll sprinkle into the podcast in subsequent shows. Okay. In the meantime, All-Star Weekend, whether it is Kresge Basement pop-ups, whether it's Justin Bieber concerts or Justin Bieber taking warm-ups or Justin Bieber's jackets or Tate McRae or Wild Spittin' Chicklet shows or Michael Buble on mushrooms. And then I guess there was everything on the ice as well. Skills competition, uh, PWHL three-on-three, et cetera, the draft, uh, the games themselves on Saturday. What stood out to you? Jeff, let's go back 12 months. After we left All-Star Weekend in Florida, what was great about it? The weather, the climate. I'll take Florida in February over Toronto in February 100 times out of 100. The hospitality was great. You can't blame the Panthers for putting on a bad show in terms of how they hosted their guests. But the players' performance was not very good. There was a firestorm of criticism after the skills competition. There was a lot of angst over they just didn't care and they didn't put on a good show. So what have we seen in 12 months since then? We saw the NHL in conjunction with the Players Association. Connor McDavid asked, how can we make it better? He thought a lot about some of the things. Other players were talked to about some of the things. And it was impressed upon them that the players had to care more. They had to put on a better show. You know, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, there was a directive that came, I think, from Brendan Shanahan, where he talked about, we have to make sure we do everything we can so the NHL and the Players Association could put on a better show. The All-Star Game had to be given a fresh coat of paint. And even though we won't get one next year, I think there's a feeling now after this weekend that the All-Star Game and the skills competition is in a much better place than we felt a year ago. Like, I know how a lot of people feel about All-Star Games. They're stupid. We we shouldn't have them. Like Josh Yo, who does a really good job covering the Penguins, he's one of those guys on Twitter. He makes it very clear he cannot stand the All-Star Game and basically doesn't think they should be wiped out of existence and there's a lot of people who think like that Uh, but tv well this is the thing tv networks love it sponsors love it you're missing the big one young fans yes love it i was getting there i was getting there so for example my nephews um one is uh 10 and the other are eight they went on thursday night for the draft the 67 leafs and the pwhl three-on-three game and they had a great time 
They loved it. They loved the draft. They they really enjoyed seeing all just seeing all the players. And then when I walked out of the building that night, because um, I was going to head out, but I walked out of the building that night. Um, there, I saw I, there were like four young girls there, and they were like, "Where can we see Tate McRae?" Because she was part, of, and we're going to talk about yeah. Tate McRae a bit more in a couple minutes. And they're like, "Where can I find?" Tate McRae and I, I told them where they had the best chance of seeing her leave the building which I think I could get in trouble for admitting on this podcast but well done Elliot like, there's, there's four young uh, women here <laughs> who you? want to see Tate McRae I was like what am I going to do I remember I was young once what am I going to do so yeah, tell her what, that, what hotel she's staying at too no I don't I don't do that I just gave the exit of the building that made the most okay. sense but right. I, I did see a lot of young and, and then there were like other young fans they were like what door will this player come out what door will and like, I, honestly, I, you know, hey, th- th- there was a lot of, I could see in the crowd because our set was just in the suite level. You could see the crowd. Everybody, um, w- the kids seem to be having a great time. So it matters. It, and sponsors love the All-Star game because they get rewarded. They take people to them. The NHL takes people to them. So even if you don't like the games, the event matters to your fans and your corporate community. Never forget that. It really matters to them. My life, Elliot, got a lot better when I realized something. Probably too late in life, but nonetheless. What's that? Not everything is for me. That's right. <laughs> a thousand percent. Not you know, everything is for me. Like the All-Star game, okay, it doesn't have to be for me. Although I really enjoyed it this year, but this isn't intended for me. Not every musician is intended for me. Not every book is intended for Not every sport is intended for me. The arrogance of assuming that everything has to amuse you in life is a weird form of slavery. It ties you to something that ultimately will let you you down again i encourage everybody to come to this realization not everything is for you and in our industry we see it always around all-star and i say the same thing it's not for you it's not for you why why complain about it why you know i'll tell you what because i'll tell you this is very unscientific but you know i'm a i'm a hockey dad right so both my both my kids both had practice on um on friday night and they both like when i was driving them home all they wanted to talk about was getting home to watch skills that's it. And, uh, you know, other uh, other parents as well. All the kids want to do is get home and watch skills. Some of the kids, uh, you know, split practice, didn't go to practice on Friday because they went to the skills competition. And that's one of those like the coach will say like, well, you know what? You know, you're AAA, you shouldn't miss practice, you know, focus. It's elite level, all that kind of stuff. But it's like, well, how many chances are they going to get to go to something like this? And I totally get that. And I totally yep. get that. Like, that's all the kids wanted to do. I took my boys to the to the game on Saturday. And they loved it, like absolutely loved it. The whole event, the way it was played, like all of it. Like when Marner got robbed on that save, I think it was by 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 Bobrovsky. It was an incredible save. Like you heard the pop in the place. And this is, like I always say about the All-Star Games, this is the best beer league game in the world. This is like, okay, if it's a breakaway, everyone agrees, no one's going to back check, give them the the breakaway, make the crowd excited. And the kids loved it. The kids had so much fun. All I can do, again, unscientific, the kids that are in my orbit, and that is all hockey kids, They all they cared about was skills competition, the games itself, themselves, Bieber was huge. 
uh, for a lot of them and the PWHL three on three. And I thought Sarah Nurse said something really, really that I haven't heard a lot of PW athletes say. She talked about all all the boys and men who came up asking for autographs, talking about the PWHL as well. Um, a People lot of just this, like obviously, hockey. Thank you. It is hockey. People just like hockey. That's all it's, of it. This is yeah. this is capital H hockey weekend. And there's a lot of tentacles to it. And one of the things that I took away from this weekend is no matter what part of hockey you liked, there was something for you. There was new, there was old, there was wild, there was conservative. Like there was a whole bunch of different things for a whole bunch of different people all crammed in to one weekend. And if there wasn't something for you, this whole thing wasn't for you in the first place. And Jeff, the key thing here is after all of this, that epic good rant you just had ah. is that the players bought in. That almost, was the key. Almost all of them. All of them. Yeah. We'll, we'll, <laughs> almost we'll get all to of them. I, I want to talk to you about something someone brought up with me with Kucherov. Like, okay. You know, so the players bought in and they led by the best player, the most important player. He really bought in. Like, like to me, one of the big moments is, and this said a lot about what happened at skills and the last skill, the obstacle course. All he had to do was finish second and he was going to win. He could have lollygagged like Bull Durham. He could have lollygagged to first base, but he did not. He went out there and he didn't just finish second. He clobbered everybody. And that was the tone that had to be set. And the game itself, um, you know, look, the first game, it was 3-1 with a minute and a half left. McDavid's team could have just said, ah, we're done. And they came back and they tied it and they won it in a shootout. And I heard in the championship game between Matthew's team and McDavid's team, and clearly Matthew's team with all the Leafs wanted the victory badly at home. Um, I heard there was some mild complaining about how the... Matthew's team was being aggressive in face-offs. Like there's always that line about, okay, it's an all-star game. We need to compete, but where's the limit so that nobody yeah. gets hurt. I heard there was some mild complaining about some of the, the Matthew's team's face-off tactics. And oh apparently they just said, we're, we're here to win. You know where you saw the all-star code? There's one place specifically where you see the all-star code, and that is on breakaways. The code is when someone's on a breakaway, just and if you're a back checker, just sort of wave at the parade. You just let them have the breakaway. No one's overly too aggressive trying to defend two-on-ones either. Um, like there's a few moments where you see like, okay, guys are just uh, adhering to this all-star code of let them play. But to gross about face-offs, seriously? Like, I get that it's three-on-three three and, you know, possession is a huge thing. But seriously, Fridge? I have to find out which one it was, but I heard there was one specific face-off where a oh tactic was used that someone said was whoa was it beyond. was it was it the old cheat with the feet was it that no, one? No, I'm not. No, it wasn't <laughs> cheating with the feet. It was like oh, something okay. physical happened. Ooh. Okay. Like it wasn't like it's not that. It was like something physical occurred that someone said, "Hey, it's an all-star game," and, and whoever did it was like, "Whatever." Like we're here to win, kind of thing. 
<laughs> now, the other thing I noticed too is go back and watch it, Jeff. But yeah. did you see the kinds of shots that were being taken? Look at the beginning of the games and then the end of the uh, championship game, the gold medal game, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the guys were starting to wind up. Well, Ma- uh, Matthews, Matthews rip, yes. ripped a one-timer. Yes. Matthews ripped that it, one-timer. It, it, like, well, Holy if you smokes. go back and you look at when the game started, like the two early games, nobody was shooting like that. And then yeah. we got down to the final game and guys were really starting to hammer it. it, it there's There was definitely something that happened as as they got closer the competitive juices really yeah. got going and then Posternock is starting to make jokes in the post game about Toronto finally winning two rounds like that yep. showed you that you know hey if people were in competitive mode it was yeah. I you know I like I said I, I thought the That's players good. the players have to take the lead and I and I really did think look from where we were about the event a year ago to where we are now, I think yeah. everybody feels a lot better. Now, before we move on to some of the other issues, um, there's two things I want to talk about from uh, the the specific All-Star event weekend before okay. we get to Batman and the news that comes out of his press conference. Number one, let's talk about Kucherov for a second. Okay. So you know what someone said to me on Saturday morning? I said, what's that? They said that should cost Kucherov the Hart Trophy, and my answer we, was, we, we, "God, we were, I hope you're not serious." Dom Shramati and I were just having that conversation off air before uh, before we started the podcast. I think a lot of people thought that. Like, listen, first of all, it shouldn't. If you believe as a voter that Nikita Kucherov is the MVP, vote him for MVP, no matter what he does. No matter what he does at the skills competition, licks the envelope, mails it in. And by the way, just as an aside, the most amusing headline of any story I read from the NHL this weekend was this. Kucherov embraces role as crowd rival at NHL All-Star Game. <laughs> I could think of a couple alternative headlines for that one, but nonetheless. you know. But you know what I thought of? The one thing I thought of uh, when Dom and I were having that conversation, I'm glad you brought it up. And this is a full stick tap cap uh, nod uh, to the late, great Jim Kelly, who, when he had his physical altercation with Dominic Hasek, still voted him for MVP. Didn't let that get in the way of his voting at all. There was that issue. And then there was the issue of who he was going to vote for. And he didn't let anything, you know, cloud his judgment when it came to to voting for MVP. But I'm with you. I really hope that that doesn't tip the scales in favor of someone else just because he, you know, mailed it in at the skills competition. You know, the thing is, Jeff, like I, I agree with that. I've had people who I don't like or I don't get along with that I voted for for awards. I, I think if you're the awards process should not be tainted by that. I'm I'm with you and I'm with Jim Kelly on that 100 um, percent. Look, like I laughed when he started waving at the crowd. I actually thought that was a, a really key part of the entertainment. Lean the one into thing it. I, Yes, lean, lean into, into it, 100%. Like, this is what clearly happened. It didn't go well for him, and he was like, ah. If I wouldn't have known differently, I would have thought Kucherov was auditioning for Curb Your Enthusiasm on the weekend. 
like, like I should have asked him if he was a big fan of the show because if you invited Larry David to the All-Star game, Nikita Kucherov on Friday was exactly what you would have seen. You know, you can say to him in the future, look, if you're going to do that, we'll just take someone else. Um, but it was kind of interesting how there was a lot of celebr like Kucherov the week before basically said, you know, he, like nobody's talking about me for the Hart Trophy, and you know, and then a week later people were like, he shouldn't win the Hart Trophy based on that. Like there, there has to be a game that you kind of have to play here. I don't think that should be the case, but I also think that you know if. What do what do Hart Trophy winners do? They go to the All Star Game and they put on a show, right? Or at least try to put on a show. And I don't think that should cost them votes, but I think it could. Um, I think it's entirely possible it does. And if and maybe they shouldn't invite him again in the future. It was funny. I tr- I've tried to convince him to come on the podcast. And I walked right up to him on media day and I said, and I think he knows this now. And I said, you know, I, I'd love to have you come on the pod. And he looks at me and he goes, you can talk to me right here. And I go, no, I want, I, like, I got a lot of questions for you. I want to talk to you on the pod. You know what he said to me? He goes, I actually think Kucherov's really funny. I've enjoyed my brief conversations with him. I, I said, I said, I want you to come on the pod. He looks at me. He goes, I'm really not that big on podcasts. So I think we got our answer there, Jeff. I don't think he's okay. coming on the pod, but that's okay. You know, like, like they, they're going to have to say to him, Hey, if, if that's the show you're going to put on, then we can't have you here. And, yeah. uh, I don't think that's good. I, I Kucherov should be at the all-star game every year, but you can't bring him if it's going to be like that all the time. Thing the other is, thing I want the know. thing is he's just flat out one of the most skilled players yes. in the game. And you know, but the yes. thing you know what's and as McKinnon said, they all love watching him. They like he's got the respect of his peers. You know what the interesting thing there's another layer to this, and I'm not okay. excusing like you know going in there and you know showing up the event. Like if you don't want to do it, don't do it. Like yeah, I always hate the person that like grudgingly shows up to something and then half asses it. And you just say to yourself like if you don't want to be here, like just just don't. Like, just don't be here. Like, take the one-game suspension after the All-Star game and just uh, be on with it. But you know what's you know what's interesting about, and again, this is a whole other layer to it, but what's interesting about him, you know, mailing it in at the skills competition the way that he did, I've always felt that, and I think the players will tell you this as well. One of the great things about Kucherov's game is the way he can manipulate how other players react around him mm-hmm. while he plays. And, he, and here's what I want to get to. One of the great things that Kucherov does is he hides. Like nobody hides on the ice like Kucherov does. Like he will have everybody convinced he's either not into a play or not in position for a play. It's like, oh, Kucherov doesn't have it. And then suddenly, bam, yes. he pulls something out of the blue and you're like, holy smokes. Like where did the, like this guy was like loafing around in the offensive zone, just clueless going through the motions. And then all of a sudden it's that fake slap shot, you know, uh, uh, pass to either point in the, in the high slot or Stamkos on the other side and Tampa's, you know, uh, doing the train down the bench um the interesting thing about that is that's kind of part of his game lulling people into believing he really doesn't care at that moment and then snap like his stick control the way he rolls his first of all the way he rolls his wrists 
almost makes it look like he's not even rolling his wrists. Like the way the puck comes off his blade, Elliot, like it's outstanding. So part mm-hmm. of me, again, part of me looked at that and said, that's actually part of his game convincing people that he's something that he is not. I think he's Hmm. the ultimate magician on the ice. I think that he is one of the smartest players on the ice. We always hear about, oh, he's playing chess. Everyone else is playing checkers. That's true. true. Part of me looked, honestly, Elliot, part of me looked at that and said, that is so part of Kucherov's game. Again, it's a small part and it doesn't excuse it. But part of me said, that's Kucherov. That's how he plays. You think I'm going to do this? No, I'm going to do that. You expect me to do this? No, I'm going to do something else. That's Kucherov. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. Uh, you know, and, you're, and you're not wrong. Like, I, I would never say that you're wrong. Uh, oh, yes, you would. No, no. I would never <laughs> say that you're wrong about that. Oh, But okay. again, but again, like, there was a... It is true that sometimes when you see Kucherov out there, you think he's not interested, and then he just does something that blows you off your feet. He, no, hang on. No one sets traps better than Kucherov. How about yeah, that? Yeah, that's true. No one sets traps out there like Kucherov. Ask anyone that's I, coached I, or played against them. I just think that on a weekend where the players I, said, we I care know. about this. I know. You you have to get better than that, but I, I just think the idea that it should cost him the Hart Trophy, I don't I don't support that. Yeah. The other thing I, I wanted to mention was the celebrities, and yep. look, the NHL All Star Game is never going to be the Super Bowl, obviously. But the one thing the Super Bowl has done is it's convinced musicians and celebrities that you have to be there, you want to be a part of it. The NFL has a lot yep. of power over who it gets to pick because if you don't have this uh, belief that the NFL is almost doing you a favor or is doing you a favor by allowing you to be featured there, they won't pick you. And this was one of the first weekends where it seemed like the celebrities involved, it mattered to them that they were part of this. Justin Bieber taking the warm-up, I, I thought that was fantastic. I was at the Bieber event mm-hmm. on on Thursday night, or was it Wednesday night? Wednesday night. Thursday, uh, Thursday. It's Thursday, right. trust me. I, I went to the Bieber event on Thursday night, and I'm not a huge Bieber uh, fan, but my son is. And I recorded him singing Peaches for my son, and my son was ecstatic. But the thing that really stood out to me about Bieber was he had, like the true Bieber holics. They pointed out that he hadn't sang. Dom's asking me if I have Bieber fever. Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> Take two aspirin and call me in the morning. You know, Jeff, this was a big weekend for musical comebacks. We had Justin Bieber on Thursday night in Toronto. And Tracy Chapman, along with Luke Combs on the Grammys on Sunday night. That was a beautiful collaboration. So good weekend for the music business and comebacks. The fact that he sang for the first time in two years, that was a mega deal. Like the people who were at that event, they were raptured. Like they really were. It was it was it was a powerful, emotional night. And Bieber left a huge impression on the people who were there. I happened to be down in the pit where a lot of the PWHL players were and yep. they were 
like it was a huge highlight for them you could really see it and the people mm-hmm. i saw like it was a big big moment justin bieber sang and then he went on the ice and he did warm-ups and you could tell the players loved it and he loved it will arnett was obviously really into it michael buble was obviously <laughs> really into it really well, into part, it. Of, part of his brain was into it you know what it was funny <laughs> it was and then, no, no 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 elliot it was awesome yeah, you know and me, nobody. Elliot. That was nobody. That was nobody owes anyone. Nobody <laughs> owes anyone any apologies. It was. It was no, great. No. But I want to talk. I want to talk about Tate McRae for a second. Sure. Um, Tate McRae, uh, her show. Like I don't know a lot. I, I confess. I mean, I, I've learned a lot about Tate McRae this year because she's showing up at Flames games. Um, she obviously has a big hockey motif in her her videos and her songs. Um, I asked my nephews about Tate McRae and they perked up. She's like, oh, she's really cool. My niece is too. She's really cool. Um, but I was told on Sunday night after it was over, like her her routine I thought was spectacular, her, her show. It's really but good. But what really I was impressed with was the our staff that was at the rink early on Sunday morning they told me that one one person said 7:30 one person said 9 o'clock so but she was there she was there really early rehearsing and they watched her rehearsal and they said it was like a hard practice like it was like a coach really grinding his guys after yeah. a bad game or ahead of a big game like today we're having a great practice we're and we're taking this very seriously and we're not getting off the ice until we've practiced the way we're going to play and they said that she, you could tell she was nervous and they said you could tell she wanted the show to be great and she was driving her staff hard but it was not in a mean way it was in a this is a huge opportunity way and we're going to smash it out of the park and i had a couple of the staff tell me that they were really glued to her practice because Mm. of the intensity of it and the demand that she clearly had that this be a great show and if you want to have a successful all-star game and you are banking on entertainers to do that for you you need them to have that attitude so for people who saw tate mccray's show and thought it was great which i was one of them I, I really enjoyed hearing from our crew who saw her practice who said that you could tell when she walked in there, what, like six hours before everything began, she said, we're practicing like we're performing and this, and I demand this is going to be a great show. They were, like, you have to understand, like, these are the technical crew that works with the best of the best in, in entertainment and mm-hmm. they said her rehearsal was as good and as demanding as anything that they had seen and they were super impressed by it i really like hearing that because you know when you're when you're paying people or you're asking people to perform for you you are hoping that they take it seriously and she took it really seriously i i like you admittedly 
didn't know a lot about Tate McRae before this weekend, other than the cutaways uh, at Calgary Flames home games <laughs> and casually hearing things there, here and there um, online with the, with her music. But I thought that performance, just from like what you're talking about, here we are, you know, you're coming off Nikita Kucherov and here's the exact opposite. This 20-year-old from Calgary who's knocking it out of the park and working real hard understanding the moment here. I thought the performance was great. And I don't know how many players came out to watch. I know that Mitch Marner did. I know that Marner came out to there watch. There was one more uh, player. It was Marner and someone else. I can't remember who it was. Okay, People but I was, will tell us who it was. Yes. Of course. Like I was I was glad to see that. But I, I thought I thought she was awesome. Like really that 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 to me has got to be a pretty again, she's a professional and played in front of large crowds, etc. But I always wonder about musicians in that environment as well, because that's not what you're used to. Right. And watching her go from the stage to the ice back to the stage. Like, I know you may look at that and go like, well, whoop de do. So she's now she's singing in front of a microphone that's that's on the ice. She's got someone helping her. Anytime when you're I always think like at the elite, elite level of anything, small things mean large things. Like, yeah. What do we talk? What do we start this podcast by talking about Connor Bedard's P92? Like you change anything on his blade, his profile of his skates or anything that means that is large for people that are top of their field and i just want to say that i was impressed that there are a lot of elements i'm sure that tate mccray is not used to uh, performing on a rink like that um away from her band there's two separate stages all of it there's a lot of different variables that go into that and when you're at top of your field tiny things are actually huge that people like you and me may just shrug off and go like oh whoop de do so you know the blade's a little bit flatter at the toe or ooh, she's got to walk out onto the ice and sing instead these things are enormous listen all i want to say is i thought the performance was great and good for her and i was really happy that i got to be there to watch all of it elliot you know i have to say someone if she listens to this she's going to be horrified that two 50 year old geezers love her it might destroy her audience <laughs> we know you're we're not your demo tate we know yeah. we know you're we're not your demo she's going to be like can you take this podcast down this is not good for me um you know other things too at the at the after party on sun saturday night nelly Furtado sang and she was so excellent good. She yeah, put on a great show. Big, big I, my my son loves the song "Promiscuous." I, I don't need to know what this tell, what I should think about this as a parent. But I recorded it for song. him. It's yeah, a great it is song. a great song. She she was excellent. She put on a great show, and there were a lot of good parties. And I I also wanted to thank uh, Spit and Chicklets for including us. That was so fun. like you know, first of all, like I have no problem admitting this. It's the number one podcast in hockey. It's a great it's it's a great podcast. Um, and, uh, you know, when they told us what they wanted to do, um, you know, you were on the call with them. I, I couldn't be, but you remember what I first told you? I said, this is going to do like anything. You said you will do anything. I'm just going to show up and whatever they want me to do, I'll do. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of the way I am. But I say it's going to be like that XFL party when I came out of the limo and they were like <laughs> hoping for the Rock or Kurt Angle, and they and those people booed the hell out of me. Like, and, and you know what? Like I said, it was funny, and I like someone's like, "You're crazy that they're going to boo." I said, "I am going to guarantee you that the fans 100%. are going to boo," 100%. and that's what happened. And I loved it. I I had a I had a great time. It was a pleasure uh, to go on stage with those guys. The the raw energy between them and their fans is fantastic. And uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I loved it. Um, you know, I had some, they put out the video of me taking a pink Whitney shot before I left. 
And, you know, some people said to me, do you have a problem with them doing that? And I was like, no, like, what, what's the big deal? You know, like, I, I really enjoyed it. There was a missing curfew party I walked into on Friday night after the skills that was also a great time. It was just a fun weekend. And, and the thing for me was, you know, I'm from Toronto. I know a lot of people hate Toronto. I love Toronto. It's been my home for 49 of my 53 years. Um, you know, some people who were downtown, they just said to me, the downtown had not been alive since the Raptors won the NBA title in 2019. And this was not as big as that, but it really put some energy into the downtown core. And that was awesome to see. Just a great, great weekend. There won't be an all-star next year. We'll be in Montreal and Boston for the uh, Four Nation, whatever we're calling Four Nation Face-Off, Elliot. Four Four Nation Nation Face-Off. Right, I forgot. I forgot. The Four Nation (laughs) Face-Off. I had a temporary mind warp, and I'm looking forward to that, but this was a great, this was a great weekend. There was a lot. Was it perfect? No, but was it a huge step back to respectability? Absolutely, it was. A couple more things I want to uh, quickly shout out here, or, or at least mention. Um, Justin Bieber wasn't the only musician from Stratford, Ontario, that was performing this past week. Shout out to Small Town Strip Club, a great band from Stratford. They wrapped up the uh, the Chicklet Show on Thursday. They are awesome. Uh, great music. Cheap Shot is a great song, but for my money, uh, Sunday Blue might be their favorite. Anyway, find those guys. Check them out awesome band as well and there was some cool stuff in and around the event oh i I also wanted to mention uh no no i also wanted to mention go you're talking about that talk oh yeah okay talk was on stage during the skills competition and i didn't know a lot about him and he was excellent like i was I, I thought he was really good. Like another person who clearly was ha- happy to be there representing yep. the Ottawa Sanders in a jersey. And he was he was fantastic. This was not someone I knew a lot about. And I was going online and finding his music after. I was like, wow, this and and that and he has a presence. The camera oh, yeah. loves him. That is always one of the underrated keys. Does the camera love you? I have overcome that. The camera does not like me, Jeff, but I am still Mm. here. The camera loved talk. Uh, Runaway to Mars uh, is probably a good on-ramp for for talk. Uh, Great song there. You know, Elliot. One of the things that I that I really liked, and we saw plenty of this on social media, uh, a lot of the a lot of events, whether it was at you know Nathan Phillips Square, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, stuff that was being done. I believe at the Madame Athletics Center as well. I believe that was the venue for it, where you had you know trick shot artists and specialists. Uh, the great Pavel Barber, who outside of being you know a magician with a stick, is a super guy, uh, and really kind. Of, like I've never seen him like big time anybody or like for autographs and kids, like huge lineups, you know, stand there and sign everything and talk to everybody. Uh, Pete Lennis, Swaggy P um, was, was around and like that guy's elite and a top dude, not just in, in ice hockey, but in roller hockey as well. But I, I just want to shout out two people that I really like. And to me, they are the funniest people in hockey period. And that is Tom Stewart and Austin Alexander. You need to follow these two on social media. To me, there is nothing funnier than the minor 
winter hockey coach skits that they do. I watch them over and over and over again. And each are you time like that? they are as funny as they were. Oh man, over and am I like that? No, I don't. I mean, I don't coach. So, but I can, I can like, honestly, these guys have all gone through it. So you can tell like they hit the exact right notes on all of it. Like Tom works with us at, at Sportsnet and he's great. Red carpet, yeah. he was fantastic. Like honestly, like yeah, Tom some is of his interviews, the in awkward industry. interviews, they're, he's, they're really funny. Oh, so fan. Like the guy's going to be so huge in this industry. He's such a weapon. And Austin Alexander is just one of the funniest guys and great comedians and great actors. A comedic. Like I've always felt that it's harder to make people laugh than make people cry, which is, you know, when I cared about things like the Oscars, I was always pissed off that comedies were never nominated for picture of the year. I always felt it's easier to, uh, to elicit emotion, like, like, uh, uh, like sorrow out of someone than it is to make them laugh. I think it's the hardest thing in the world to do. And these guys, there's no one better in hockey at doing it. I understand it might be a low bar, Hockey doesn't exactly have a comedic past that we should brag about necessarily, but these two guys nail it. So just shout out Tom Stewart and Austin Alexander. Those guys are mint. Great stuff, Jeff. And uh, apparently we did our Team Canada teams for next year. And apparently BXO Mm -hmm. was yelling at the screen at some of our teams and how horrible they were. So next week he wants to do his (laughs) team. So I can't. I can't okay, wait to hear good. this. So tune in next week when you can hear BX to say how much all of our teams stink. Okay. Now, listen, uh, a couple of things here. So you mentioned the Four Nations face-off next year, February 25. Uh, we'll see that. Canada, United States, Finland, Sweden, as previously reported and speculated on. Also, uh, the Olympic announcement made official, uh, the NHL going in 26 and 30. This is the first time since 2014 in Sochi. Uh, We're going to park some time here to talk about what we saw and heard on Friday um, from Gary Bettman, from Marty Walsh as well. Let's begin here with the international calendar. And Elliot, do you think this is the beginning of something that was originally talked about coming out of the 0405 lockout? And that is a distinctive, deliberate, consistent NHL calendar for the NHL. Well, I sure, I sure hope so. I think everybody wants it. Um, you know, Bettman, uh, even when we came out of the Board of Governors meeting and Bettman talked about how construction on the hockey rink in Milan was behind schedule and it was going to be problematic, he poo-pooed that that was going to prevent them from going to the Olympics. And when he did that, that said to me that this was going to happen because he said, look, if we're not there, we'll play in Turin where we played in 2006. Like, they're going to be going. So that said to me that this was going to happen. They got two done. And if Salt Lake happens in 2034, as, as everybody seems to expect, you know there's no way they're not going there. So I think we're going to see the next three of them. For me, it's always an issue. The issue is not players going to the Olympics. The issue is who's paying the costs. That got sorted out. The issue is can the NHL use a bit more video that's a big one a very big one to the NHL and it sounds like that's getting worked out Um, you know basically the NHL wants to say is there a way we can make money from this or even if we can't make a ton of money we get rewarded for the fact that these are their athletes or we don't lose money and it sounds like they're 
in that position here. So plus the you know they're talking about three World Cups now, the smaller one next year, and two more. Look, like they need this, and one of the reasons they need it is because you need best on best to grow your sport. No, you know, Matt Sundin has talked about this before about how. Uh, overseas you need that best on best play to sell your sport and it's so it's not only north america it's about hockey worldwide everybody sees this he knows it matters to the players um, and also you know the world cup is it's another revenue source you know you get you i believe i, I want to say that the tv rights were like 30 to 32 million in 2016 which was the last time we had it you know, you're hoping it's going to eventually be more than that. But again, it's another revenue source. You you need that to be consistent to make it work. Now, Pasternak said what had been private publicly, what a lot, I heard a lot of privately, which is that players like him and Dreisaitl and others were very upset about next year. And I heard that the League and the Players Association had met and spoken to some of these players and had said that we recognize how upset you are that you're not going to be included next year but we've got to get this going and while I I don't think they're 100% satisfied with that I believe they understand it so I I do think there were some players from the non-competing teams who registered their disapproval I do believe they were they had conversations with the league and the players association but they were just told simply we have to start and we recognize you're upset but we have to get this started right um okay uh also during the gary bettman press conference and we're going to get to the 2018 story here um but i do want to mention before we get there the arizona coyotes and i think when uh bettman says that he was reasonably confident that alex marilla was going to be able to do what he says i think we looked at and rightfully so reasonably confident maybe intimating the opposite. But first of all, before we get to Marty Walsh, the executive director of the Players Association, uh, how did you feel about how the commissioner spoke about Arizona? I think that it's hard for, not for me to look at this and say it was anything but good cop, bad cop. Like there's no way Batman didn't know what Walsh was going to say. No way. Look, we all know Bettman's stance on Arizona. We all roll our eyes at it. We know he's fought for Arizona. Like, no commissioner would fight for a market. Um, You know, that's just what he does. And I'm going to say this again for the 30th time. If they leave Arizona, he's going back there. Eventually, Mm -hmm. he will go back there. Whether it's with Matt Ishbia and the Phoenix Suns or whatever it'll be, he will go back there. I, I really do believe that if they leave. Um look like Walsh like Walsh admits there's nothing he can really do and, and and I'll tell you this Walsh talking about the players not the players association not getting to meet with the organization what he's saying and what he's trying to pressure the coyotes with is if you won't meet with us you don't care about your players that's the message he is trying to send. And and what he's trying to put everybody out there to think is if the Coyotes leave Arizona, it's because the owner doesn't care about the players. That's the message he is trying to put out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, 
uh, I think it was two years ago, there were some meetings with the players that didn't go very well. And the Coyotes were unhappy about the way I reported some of them. And so was the league. I, I Believe me, I heard from everybody there. They said the players are, did not say what you reported they felt. And my response to that was, well, of course they're not going to say that. But I'm telling you, they feel it. Like, I, it was... It was a fair debate. They they said to me, that's not what they told us. And I said, well, of course, I'm not going to tell you that. But that doesn't mean I'm wrong. So, and the players aren't going to fight with, like, the, the Coyotes are playing well. They're a better team than a lot of us thought. They've got a brighter future, I think, than a lot of us potentially thought they did. From a hockey point of view, they are going in the right direction. Um, but they're not going to fight with their organization about what's happening with the building. That's the players association's job. And what Walsh is doing by coming out there is he's create, he's trying to create a narrative that the ownership doesn't care about their players. And if you won't meet with the PA, but the, the whole thing that I wonder about here and nobody has an answer is if this team is going to leave Arizona after this season. And I repeat, if what's the process for a transferring the team and B potentially transferring ownership. And when, and I, that to me is the one story that none of us have really dug into yet. Cause a lot of it's legal, but every I is, but I assume Batman has considered that. And I definitely believe Bill Daly has considered that. So everything that they say and do publicly is about if we have to have a process to do something here, we better make sure we do it by the book. Let let, let me pause on that for a second because I've thought a lot about this because I'm of the belief that the NHL obviously isn't thrilled about how this has played out with this ownership group. I would also think that there are a lot of other owners in the NHL that don't like how this has played out That's um, for sure. with, with this ownership group. But at the same time, as much as those other owners may not like this situation and how it's played itself out, I would also have to think that they would be very concerned about the idea of revoking ownership and how that process plays out. Because naturally, you think to yourself, well, could this happen to me? Is that a dynamic here that we should keep front of our mind? I, I think so. But this is just such a unique situation. I understand that. But this could have ramifications for other owners somewhere down the road because we haven't seen this since the Cleveland Barons, Elliot. Yeah, it, it, it would. I just don't think a lot of them think it's relevant to their their own situations. I, I, that's the way... I look at this. I, I I think this is such a unique situation. Yeah, I mean, you're probably not wrong at a base level, but I don't think a lot of people are overly concerned about that. One of the things that um, Gary Bettman mentioned uh, as far as expressions of interest for NHL franchises, uh, Utah, duh, um, Atlanta, we've heard a lot there, um, Houston, ditto, Kansas City, and then mentioned Cincinnati. 
Yes. Uh, to which I thought, ooh, the return of the Stingers and Rick Dudley and the headband and all that kind of kind Wasn't of. Wasn't that uh, Mark Messier's first pro team too? The Cincinnati. Stingers? You know it, yeah. Mike Gartner was yeah. there too. The Stingers were uh, Stingers were a thing, man. Mike Liute, one of our favorite netminders turned agents. Oh yeah, Cincinnati Stingers, baby. The uh, the black and the yellow. I'll tell you another one that someone said to me. They they wonder okay. is is Connecticut. They can call themselves the Connecticut ESPNs. Um, the Connecticut no. Whale? Could they do it? Could they do it, Elliot? Could they do but it? But I, I is that and my question about all this is I have heard rumors that there could be presentations at some point. Now I will say that people have thrown cold water on that to me, no. but I, I have heard rumors there could be presentations at some point. Okay, Elliot, let's finish up A Block here by talking about the biggest issue that Commissioner Gary Bettman talked about on Friday, and that is the 2018 World Junior Investigation, the NHL investigation, uh, the situation with the London police, uh, the future of these players, not just in the legal system, but also in the NHL as well. Um, you know, Gary Bettman talked about, you know, their investigation taking 12 months and they want to wait till the conclusion of the judicial proceedings before there is a response from the NHL. Uh, he also said he would be surprised if the five players uh, were playing while all of this is pending as well. Uh, what were some of your takeaways from what the uh, the commissioner said as the he addressed the situation for the first time since this latest chapter of the story broke? Well, first of all, Jeff, Monday today is going to be a very heavy day uh, because the London police are going to have their media conference. And, you know, we're going to I assume we're going to hear some things that are going to be very, very tough to hear. And, uh, you know, it's it's going to be a hard day. And I would just say to everybody, please respect the people who this is going to be a very hard day for. Uh, but we'll see uh, what exactly comes out of that. Um I think the, the the biggest news from everything that Bettman talked about there is that the NHL will not do anything but consider the players on leave with pay for the duration of their contracts, which all end this season. There isn't one of these players that has a contract beyond this year until the legal process concludes. And Judging from what Bettman said, should this go past the end of this season, and it does look like this is going to be a lengthy process, I don't think you should expect that any team is going to sign these players. Um, their careers are on hold until this is over, and then when it's over, we'll see how the NHL weighs in. I don't think anyone expected any differently. Um one of the rumors going around about the NHL report and the Hockey Canada report, which is still under appeal, is that the NHL and Hockey Canada were both worried that if they released their reports prior to the conclusion of the legal process, that they were worried about significant lawsuits. Um, and everything that Bettman said in that media conference made me believe that is 100% true, that there is no way they could bring anything out until they knew what the legal process said. And I know that's not going to make a lot of people happy or satisfy them, but I'm not surprised in the least bit. You're not going to expose yourself to any legal damage. And that's why I think these reports are still quiet. 
And, um, you know, I know that there were some quotes from some Canadian politicians saying we want to see this report. I, I, I know the people at Hockey Canada are just worried that it'll still get out. So that's why these reports, I believe, are still under lock and key. The second thing that Bettman said that confirmed a lot of things I believed was that the teams had no idea what was going on. Like there were times over the past couple of years I would ask teams about this and they would say, we honestly don't know. And I didn't know whether or not to believe it. I came to believe it, but in the beginning, like I think like a lot of people, I didn't believe it, but Batman did confirm that, which is that they kept the teams in the dark about what they learned. And I know that bothered teams. Uh, it bothered some of the teams a great deal. It frustrated them. Like look at Calgary a week ago. Um, they allowed Dubé a mental leave. And then two days later, Carter Hart goes on mental leave and we start to realize what's happening. And the Flames took a lot of criticism for it. But based on what Bettman said, it's pretty obvious here that the Calgary Flames did not know how close this was getting or how serious this situation had, how how even more serious, I would say, this hmm. situation had become. And I know the teams were really bothered by it, um, but Batman clearly felt that this was the best way to do it. But it confirmed that a lot of these teams were in the dark. So, you know, this is a really, really sad story and this is a really hard process and it's going to go on for a long time and we have to be sensitive to the people who are really going to be affected by that. But at least we have some clarity into some of the things we wondered and believed and uh, and it's going to be a long time before we see any NHL punishment because they're going to wait until this process is going to be completed. Like you just mentioned, Monday is going to be a, um, a tough day for a lot of people. It's going to be an ugly day for a lot of people. We're going to hear a lot of things that are probably very disturbing, especially on a day like today when you're listening to this podcast. Please try to be sensitive to everybody around this story who needs you to be sensitive for them. We'll take a break. More of the podcast in a moment. Listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Okay, Elliot, time now for the Montana's Thoughtline, Montana's Barbecue and Bar, Canada's home for barbecue. Even though you've had a very, very rough and long and sleep-deprived weekend, let's see if you can still do the line. Try the ribs. Eh, not too raspy. Not bad. Pretty good. Stuck the landing. 8 out of 10. 32 thoughts at sportsnet.ca. 1-833-311-3232. 32 thoughts at sportsnet.ca. 1-833-311-3232. Okay, Elliot. Here's an interesting one for you. Justin from Beaumont submits this. Love the pod. When a player has their no-trade team lists in their contract... 
What happens if an expansion franchise happens? Do they have to reinstate that into the contract? Also, try the ribs. Justin is on board with you, Elliot. Uh, your thoughts on uh, expansion and players with no trade clauses? Well, the thing is about that is it's it's a good question. Like I understand why you why you ask it. The no trade clauses, the teams they change every year, right? So if an expansion team is coming in, you will have the opportunity before that season to put them on your list. But what I don't know, and I will ask somewhere down the road, for example, if you've got a 16-team no-trade list, which is half the league, can you change it to, say, the NHL becomes 34 teams, can you change it to 17 teams? That, I don't Mm. know. Because technically, once you sign a contract, you can't change it. I think it depends on the wording. If it says 16 team or if it says half the league, yes. I would imagine it yes. says 16 team. So that would yeah. be to be Pacific, as we say in the Atlantic, that would have to come right down to the wording. Uh, exactly. But you change your list every year or there's some players who the list can be submitted upon request. Like if a team says, look, we want your list now, then you can do it right then. So that's that's not as big an issue as you would think because they are changed every year. OK, Elliot, our next one comes to us from Jeremy from Quadra Island going to BC here. Uh, Hey guys, I had a thought while watching a highlight clip of a player being hit in the opponent's bench. After ending up in the opponent's bench, could the player stay inside that bench and perform a line change by having the player go on the ice from their own bench? The visual of that player on the opponent's bench waiting for a whistle to exit would be interesting to see. It would be interesting, wouldn't it, Elliot? But is it allowed? <laughs> I don't know. I think once you go in there, you've got to get out yes, pretty quickly. You yes. yes. You can't do line changes with the other team's bench. Otherwise, we would see on like breakaways, if the uh, if the other team's bench is closest to you, one one player exiting on an uh, opposition's team bench and from their own bench, jumping out at the far end where the defensemen are and being able to defend. So, yeah, the answer is no, you can't do that. I can Creative see why, thought, you, why you picked that one. That's very Merrick-esque. <laughs> I love the thing. I just love that. Well, we've seen it before where, you know, you change at one end and the player comes out the other end. You see that on three on three all the time. It's just that's just smart coaching. But I like that Jeremy took it one step further and said, well, why don't you just change on the other team's bench when you get knocked in there? Okay, here's an intriguing one uh, that comes to us from Colorado. Peter from Colorado. Hey, rib eaters. Okay, Elliot, he's talking to you. Yes. Uh, There are plenty of examples of hockey families with two generations of NHL players. But can any family claim three generations? Not just father, son, grandfather, but including uncles, cousins, and skip generations. Keep up the good work and try to mix in a pecan salad from time to time. boy, Peter. Uh, Two jump to my mind right away. Um, The Jeffreyons and the Bortolos. So, boom, boom, Jeffrey on, who was a legend with the Montreal Canadiens. His son, Dan, played for the Quebec Nordiques. His son, Blake, Jeffrey on, played for Nashville. And although it doesn't make it four generations, if you squint really hard, you could say it's four generations. His father-in-law was Howie Morenz. So, you could say that the Jeffrey Ons are four generations. The other Bordelos, uh, Paul Ann Bordelow, who played for Vancouver, Sebastian Bordelow, who played for Montreal, Nashville, and Thomas Bordelow with the San Jose Sharks. Those would be the ones that I would throw at you as far as three generations, or in Boom Boom's case, maybe four. Uh, I'll give you a bit of a different three generation one. How about okay. the Apps family? Sill Apps, the Hall of Famer. 
yes. from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Sillaps Jr. played in the NHL, Pittsburgh Penguins, among other teams. And Jillian Apps won a gold medal yes. with Team Canada at the Olympic Games in Turin in 2006. So that's another uh, three-generation uh, one I could come with. Um, you left out one thing about you left out one very important thing about Jillian Apps. Considering I see her picture every time I go to Stovall Arena and Clippers Arena in Stovall as well, also known as Keith Acton Arena, and that is she played in Stovall. Jillian Apps did. That's the most important part, Elliot. Oh, of course. Yes. I'm sorry. I left that out. I <laughs> okay, very good. So that's another one I think of off the yep. top of my head. That's a really good one. Okay. Um, finish up with this one. Chris in Saskatoon. Uh, hey, Jeff, Elliot, and Dom. With the recent talk of expansion in Utah, it got me thinking, would it be possible for a franchise to essentially be loaned to another city for a temporary period? For example, Arizona, as we all know, has been having arena problems recently. Have they? Have, have I missed that one? Okay. Uh, what if the NHL decided to create a deal where the Coyotes were sent to a market like Houston for two years, giving the NHL a chance to gauge interest in a potential market while ensuring that the Coyotes have an NHL arena to play under until their new building is completed? Is this something that would even be possible or would there be too many hoops to jump through? Appreciate you guys and all that you do. Chris in Saskatoon, Elliot. Uh, it's not impossible, but I've asked this question before and I've been told that it would not happen. And I said, why? And it's because they say, once you take a team out of the market, you break the connection. You cannot reestablish it. You have to bring back a completely new team. Now, maybe you use the same name. Like the Winnipeg, remember initially, the Winnipeg Jets weren't so sure yep. that they were going to use the name Jets. But David Thompson, the owner at the initial media conference, says, Well, I kind of like the name Jets. And that was the end of that. The Jets yes. came back. Yeah. But so you can maybe come back with the same name, but you're not bringing back. You're not going for two years and coming back. You're starting again. You're starting anew. They really feel you break the chain and you have to start something fresh. Thanks for not saying break the seal. All right. We will uh, wrap up the thought line. You're welcome. The Montana's thought line. Montana's barbecue and bar. Canada's home for barbecue. Again, the ways to get in. 32 thoughts at sportsnet.ca. 1-833-311-3232. Still to come, Connor and Leon and the Ricks. Bonus and talk it. That's next. get to Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid, um, something we should probably park a little bit of time here to talk about. Maybe we should have done this early in the podcast, but I'm a really bad host. Uh, and we were junior, doing a lot of talking. There was a lot to get to. Forgive us. Um, this probably deserves a higher ranking in the, you know, the ladder of topics here. But nonetheless, here's where we find ourselves. The CHL and the NCAA. Is there a warming going on between the two? Will we see CHL players allowed to... <gasps> Think of the children, the gaffs, clutch my pearls, play in the NCAA one day. I think we're getting there. I, I really do. So uh, you'll remember the weekend of uh, Hockey Day in Canada. There was that story. So last summer, the BCHL left the Hockey Canada umbrella. They wanted to be able to decide who can play in their league. And Hockey Canada has rules on where players can be from and where they play. And the BCHL basically said, no, we want to recruit, recruit players from wherever we want. And so they left the umbrella. 
And uh, right before Hockey Day in Canada, the day before, five teams from the Alberta Junior League decided they were going to break off and join the BCHL. Now, Jeff, you're you're closer to this than me. It had been rumored this was going to happen, but the Alberta League said the official announcement came without warning, and they were furious. And so they banned these five teams, basically. They, they called off their games. And what I don't like is, uh, is 16 and 17-year-olds paying for the decisions, the political decisions of adults. And they've solved this problem. They announced it last week that those teams are now joining the BCHL and they'll be able to play good because the kids should be able to play. However, all of that said, um, you know, there's obviously a, a, a seismic change here going on in junior hockey in Canada. And I think it's about to get more seismic. Now, Obviously, the CHL and the NCAA had a fierce rivalry. See, if you played even one minute of one exhibition game in the CHL, you could not play in the NCAA. Well, there's a new, it's a new era now. It's the NIL era in U.S. college sports, name, image, likeness. You get paid for, if you can cut a deal like uh, the, the Cavender Twins, from the who played basketball at the University of Miami, like Livy Dunn, the gymnast from LSU, or a ton of football, basketball, baseball players, you know, you can make a lot of money uh, on your likeness. And so those hurdles are now gone. And from what I understand, the CHL and the NCAA are talking very seriously about if you are eligible to go to school in the United States after your CHL career is done, you can go play for an NCAA team. Like this merger is going to happen at some point. And you'll remember years ago when the NHL considered changing its draft, there was a story that went out making the first round a 19-year-old draft. Pat LaFontaine was the key guy behind it of you play in the CHL, you can go play in the NCAA, maybe USHL teams can compete for the Memorial Cup. Like they were talking about this a few years ago. Well, now they're talking about an understanding of CHL to NCAA and how it can happen. I I heard from a couple of CHL teams that were represented on the weekend and they're like, yeah, we got no problem with this. Now, I think it's going to be interesting because I think the NCAA coaches are going to vote on it, whether it's going to be this spring, this summer, they're going to vote on it. And it's going to be would, to see where this as, goes. Yes. Sorry, as a quick aside, I was told expect that in early summer this year. Okay. Someone said to me, spring, summer. Now, I, some guys told me there are some there are some NCAA coaches who are like, we're building momentum. Do we really need this? Um, mm-hmm. There's a little bit of you know patriotism around it, but it sounds to me like a lot like a few of them are like this could make our game even better let's make it work but we'll see where the vote goes you know what someone said to me also too was be careful because the ncaa does not move fast so even if the coaches go for it there's the question of how quickly will the ncaa allow it to happen so there's that but we are headed towards a future of where CHL players are going to be able to play NCAA hockey. The question is when. 
So a couple of things here. So one, I think people would wonder, what does this look like then? Um, and this would be, as, as Elliot mentioned, the situation where a player could play junior hockey in Canada and then also go and play NCAA. Um, what would happen to those junior A loops uh, around uh, around Canada? And essentially, as it's been described to me, because all the top players will now, if, if you're a, let me take Macklin Celebrini, for example, because I think a lot of this, I, you know, every conversation I have about it, his name comes up. Now, Macklin Celebrini did not go and play in the Western Hockey League. Macklin Celebrini went to the USHL and played Chicago Steel before going to Boston University. Um, the feeling is that that's one that the Western Hockey League lost. Like you lose out on Macklin Celebrini, that's that's huge. Um, but the only way to get to Boston University was to go through the USHL for Celebrini. He couldn't go to junior. That hurdle gets removed. So what happens is players that want to go to college now don't have to make that step of playing in junior A. They can still go play major junior hockey. So what becomes of the junior A teams and the junior A leagues? What I am told, is that those leagues will essentially become, for lack of a better term, Elliot, feeder leagues for Division Three in the United States. The elite level hockey players and the high end, you know, top end guys are all going to go play major junior, even if they ultimately want to go up and, and end up at uh, a Division One school in the United States. Now, the other thing that comes out of this one, just to get way ahead of ourselves on the conversation, but just Elliot, I think it's important that we put this on the radar if this goes through and I, I was told by one person don't be surprised if it's as early as 2025 again that's just one conversation I don't I'm not reporting it I'm just saying that that's one conversation that I had and it does make sense one thing to keep in mind too is how will this change how teams draft players and there's one very specific area as you know when you draft a player out of major junior hockey you have two years to sign that players when they get drafted out of college you have four does that then allow players to be team property for four years if they play major junior instead of two all this will need to be worked out. The NHL-CHL uh, agreement will need to be worked out. And I think one thing that, you know, a lot of people around the NHL who may be hearing this for the first time, although I find that hard to believe, will probably have Me in too. their minds, okay, how does this affect our drafting? That's me emptying my notebook on it. So we'll see yeah, where this that's good goes. One. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. We'll see where that we'll see where that one heads. Okay, Elliot, before we get to these interviews, here a couple more bits of news. Uh there are two new centers on Canadian teams. Elias Lindholm goes to the Vancouver Canucks last week. It feels like it's a million years old already, but nonetheless, we haven't had a chance to talk about it. And also, Sean Monahan is a member of the Winnipeg Jets. Your thoughts on these two deals? Well, we talked about Lindholm last week, so I think we've covered a lot of that. Although, I got to tell you, tough, tough welcome to your new team. You're the only Canuck Quinn Hughes doesn't draft. <laughs> yeah, too bad. But, uh, well, you're here. You're you're one of us, but you're not really one of us yet. Um, okay. And the, the second thing is that um, there's no question that after Lindholm, teams started saying, oh, there's a center run here. It's like a closer run in your fantasy baseball draft. <laughs> One guy drafts a closer, and then everybody starts drafting closers. Um, but there, there was definitely a, a FOMO, fear of missing out, and Winnipeg stepped up. Um, it was interesting. I was at the Bieber concert on Thursday night, 
And I got a note saying, while Bieber was on stage, watch Monaghan to the Jets. And then I checked it and I immediately sent out some notes like, this is my life. Like Monaghan, I'm, I'm watching Bieber and I'm getting Monaghan notes. And I was told on Friday morning, it's not guaranteed it's Jets yet. And I think there was another mm. team that wanted them. And I... Th- it sounds like Monaghan had to speak to the Jets, too, to make sure that he was comfortable with that. But eventually, whoever that other team was that made the run got beat out and the Jets got their their player. Um, you know, he's going to be a second liner there. It's going to be interesting. Like, we talked about this, about the respect Monaghan has and how far he's come. But the question is, is on like on a Stanley Cup contender, can he handle that 2C role? And there's some people who thought I was crazy for even suggesting that or anyone who's saying that is crazy for even suggesting that. Well, now we're going to find out. And I do have to shout out Eric Engels because he called me right after and said, I told you (laughs) he was going to get a first pick. So Eric still wearing his red, white and blue pajamas. uh, He was right about this one. And now if you're a Colorado and you're looking for a center, or you're Boston, and you're looking for a center potentially. Uh, like I, like the, a lot of the Bruins fans said, they don't believe it because Charlie Coyle is is having a great year, and he is. But mm. I still do believe Boston is looking into it. Um, you know, if you're Colorado, or you're Boston, or you're New Jersey, or you're one of these teams that's looking for a center. You know, what that said to me was Winnipeg saw the saw Lindholm goes and said, we better get who we want. Number one, it's going to cost you a first rounder. And number two, you better get out there. So, you know who loved that? Pat Verbeek loved that because he's got one of the few centers who's left. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you this. You know what someone said to me on the weekend? You know, Boone Jenner scored a couple of really nice goals. And they said, if Columbus ever wanted to do that, and I, and what he said to me was, there's no way Columbus wants to do that, but they're at a real crossroads in their existence. He said to me, if 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 Columbus ever said Boone Jenner was available, you watch what that would get them. But I am yeah. not convinced Columbus wants to do that. There would be a lot of teams lining up there. Um, okay, one he's more. Signed. Yes, you have them locked. Uh, one more bit of news as well. Uh, again, this one feels like it's a million years old because a lot of things have happened since this happened. But Todd McClellan dismissed as the head coach of the Los Angeles Kings, uh, the Kings who won their last road game before the break, uh, ultimately didn't mean much for the future of, of Todd McClellan. He is dismissed. Uh, Jim Hiller takes on in an interim capacity. You know, Jeff, we had talked about this. This is one of those changes that's kind of like, we don't want to do it, but we're in a position where we have to do something. Ottawa. It's the Ottawa move. Even Edmonton, I think, would kind of be convinced about that too with Jay Woodcroft. You get backed into a corner sometimes and... Um, you know, I, I had a note from someone who said this was not easy for Rob Blake to do. There, there's no way he wanted to do this. And you sometimes you just get back to another corner and you say, we have no choice. We, we have got to do this. And someone said, well, they, they won their last game. I think that's irrelevant. One game shouldn't change your, your decision. You're, you're either headed a direction or you're not. One thing I thought was was really interesting. First of all, Jim Hiller is a guy who's kind of been in the mix. Uh, 
I wondered if he would get his break. Former player, um, you know, very analytically inclined, ran an analytics company for a while. So he knows both worlds, right? He understands the player world and he understands the analytic world. Um, He... Uh, had been interviewed for head coaching jobs before. New York Islanders had interviewed him. I believe Nashville interviewed him last year. Like he's he was a guy who was kind of on the cusp. And in their announcement, they said he'll be the one for the rest of the year, interim coach for the rest of the season, and then we'll see. Now, I think one of the toughest things to do in sports is to go from being an assistant coach to head coach on the same team. It's very hard to go from good cop to bad cop because players kind of see that as phony sometimes. But that's the position he's been given, and he has to run with it. Um, What this says to me is that the Kings will see how this year plays out. And then we're going to see where this where this direction is going. You know, Rob Blake has one more year uh, after this. Um, like, I think Rob Blake is a really competitive guy. Um, you know, he's a very friendly guy publicly. But you remember how hard he played the game. I think he's a really competitive guy. Uh, I do think other people have wondered how long he'd want to do this. And, you know, like... I haven't spoken to him or anything like that, but there's definitely a, a feeling around the organization now of we're going to take stock of where everything stands after this season and see where we're all going. Because they're not bringing in another head coach this year, they say, which says to me that this is going to be a, a, a huge summer for the Kings based on uh, you know the way the rest of this year finishes. But look, like... Todd McClellan took them from a team that was kind of directionless to a playoff team. And now we see where this goes the rest of the season. And, you know, like they have a Dubois is taking a lot of heat. Let's see what this does for him. Um, They've got a Kaliev situation there. And I don't think the Kings are happy that got out. Do they do they say to Jim Hiller, okay, find a role for this guy that works or do they move him? Um, you know, they've had him out there. Um, you know, like you always wonder when a new coach gets in, whose role changes? Yes. You know, one other thing I just wanted to touch on, Jeff, was the Calgary Flames and defense. On Sunday, they claimed Braden Pahal on waivers from the Vegas Golden Knights. Ryan Pike, who does a great job covering the Flames, pointed out that Pahal was at Calgary's prospects camp five years ago. So he's someone they know. And uh, I like Pahal, the limited I've seen of him. I think there's a player there. But what it says to me is it's a reminder that Calgary has some decisions to make on their blue line. First of all, Noah Hannafin. You'll remember, eight times seven and a half was the offer. He was close to taking it. They lost a couple of games earlier in the season. He got cold feet. Things were in limbo. They started talking to him again, but they want an answer. Um, It's been all-star break. They've asked Hannafin to think about it. Their first game back is in Boston, which is where Hannafin's family lives. I'm assuming they're going to get an answer one way or the other. So that could lead to a decision. The other one is Chris Tanev. The Flames, we know they're willing to deal. Dealt Zadorov a bit ago. Now they dealt Lindholm last week. I think teams have been on them about Tanev. Ottawa, we know about. I don't expect that to happen now. I believe Toronto was re-engaged. 
especially as recently as this weekend. There are teams that suspect Tampa is in there. I've been wondering about Jersey, but for a rental, does Tanev make any sense? Uh, because they simply don't know if they're a playoff team right now. Does a rental make sense for them? The other team I kind of wonder about a little bit, and this is just my opinion on how they feel about their defense, is potentially a team like Winnipeg. They've been very good this year, um, but they went out and they got a rental Monaghan, and to me that would be a team that you know, would be at least looking around and considering some things. I just wonder if that would make any sense with them. That's my own personal opinion. But I do think there've been there's been some increased engagement on Tanev. There we'll see where we go on Hannafin. And it's not surprised that Calgary would pick up a defenseman on waivers like Pahal, because they might need some extra defensemen soon. And Jeff, before we wrap this up, we're gonna start with McDavid and, and Dreisaitl here, I think. But we should mention that Tuesday night, they're going for 17 in a row in Vegas, nationally televised oh, game in Canada. Be so good. And also, what someone reminded me was the Super Bowl media is going to be there. So I think there's a big credential number for this Ooh. game. So uh, that is, that, I think that's fantastic for the NHL that this is going to be a nationally televised game, a big game between two teams that don't like each other and you're going to have a bigger media contingent than normal. I think that's a great thing. And front and center will be these two gentlemen who we sat down with on Friday to talk to. Saw them all weekend long at NHL All-Star Weekend. We'll see them against Vegas and what is legit. Like, this is the candidate for the game of the week against the Vegas Golden Knights. Edmonton's Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Enjoy this one. Okay, Connor, I want to start with you and either put something to bed or throw a log on the fire for it. We've talked a lot about this Jersey Tuck conspiracy <laughs> with uh, coming after Heritage Classic and the jerseys untucked and is Connor hiding an injury. Was there a Jersey Tuck conspiracy indeed, or was it just a coincidence? There was no Jersey Tuck conspiracy. Um, it was just a coincidence. Uh, truthfully, I'm not, I don't tuck my jersey in on purpose. I don't, yeah. you know, it's just... Uh, kind of happens naturally. I don't wear my fight strap all that much. So, um, sometimes, sometimes <laughs> it can ride up, um, get stuck in my pants, but no fight, no, uh, sorry, no, uh, no tuck conspiracy. Not hiding nothing, 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 nothing there. Nothing there. Nope. Back nope. to the drawing board, Elliot. What do you think of this line of questioning? <laughs> I don't really know what they're talking about. To be honest. <laughs> I, I haven't heard about this. The, the, theor the theory was that um, when Connor came back, that he, uh, he had gone from tucking the jersey to untucking it. And the belief was that he had extra piece of equipment that he was hiding to protect himself oh, coming okay. back from his injury. Yeah. That was a conspiracy know, theory. <laughs> Maybe propagated by this podcast not, and yeah. by extension, me. <laughs> I'm assuming that's probably not the worst conspiracy theory you've heard about Connor McDavid or the Edmonton Oilers over the years. Oh no, I've heard I've heard lots, um, but that's a good one. That's the first time first time I've heard that one. But I, I'm just thinking about uh, he doesn't tuck his jersey in general, mm -hmm. so yeah, I, I don't think there's anything to it. When did you guys know the Oilers were right? Like, when did you sense that everything was straightened out? Um, that's a good question. I think, I think we could feel it a little bit before that our game was coming. I think when we went on that, um, we won three games at home with Chris coming in. 
and it still felt a little weird. And then we went on the road and we actually lost a couple of games, um, but we felt our game was was better. Um, and then we went in, into Washington um, and played a great game, our best game um, maybe all season long. And um, you could feel then that the, the momentum was starting to go. Same. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, obviously you you build that, um, and it was a little bit up and down. Um, but I I would say the same. I would say that that Washington game was kind of where everyone kind of just dropped everything that they had on their shoulders and just started to play a little bit mm-hmm. and started to play to our potential. And um, that was kind of the starting point. You know, everybody watching your team at the beginning <laughs> of the year, like there was a sense of, at least from our side, panic. Like, what's going on here? Like, these are not the Oilers that we ex- expected. Was there panic in that room at all? Or was it, was it like, how did you like relate to each other? How did you feel? Like, was there a sense of like anxiety about how the season started? Yeah, I, w- I mean, I wish we could say that, you know, oh, we always knew, we always knew, but you know, obviously it was a bad start. There was a lot of things that went wrong. You bring mm-hmm. in a new coach. Um, of course there was a sense of um, anxiety in the room, but I think with our group, um, there was always an underlying belief that was mm-hmm. always there that was never shaken, um, at least in my mind. Um, and talking to other guys, I think they felt the same way, that eventually we were going to get out of it. We just, you know, didn't want to dig ourselves too big of a hole, you know. It felt like we were on some uh, some free fall and, mm-hmm. and we couldn't catch ourselves and we just hoped we caught ourselves um, in time to, to be able to save the season. And... Um, <coughs> You know, obviously, we've we've done we've had a great stretch here, got ourselves kind of back into the mix of things, but we still got a long ways to go. It's a tight Western Conference with a lot of really good teams, and um, you know, we got a long way to go coming down the stretch. Was there ever a game like after? I don't know if there's one you would pinpoint in specific where you guys kind of looked at each other and said, "What what on earth is going on here? Like, just how has this happened to us?" Like early on, yeah, <laughs> or yeah, right now. Uh, to me, it was the Carolina game a little bit in Carolina where um, <laughs> that, 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 that first was, period, yeah, that, that first period yeah. of the Carolina game. Yeah, because yeah. when you're in, in a situation like that, you go into every game, you're like, okay, this is the game where we're going to turn it around. This yeah. is the one. And we go out and just lay an absolute egg. <laughs> like, it was just, I was just like, what is going on? Like, we can't, like, it, it felt like we couldn't play hockey anymore it was crazy um but obviously you know worked extremely hard to put ourselves in a good spot again what's been the biggest difference with the coaching change um it's yeah it's 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 a tough one i mean he 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 tweaked a couple things i i think he's um he's very he, he sticks to it um, for for a long time, you know, even yeah. when we're, like, there's games where we're still, like, you know, there's a period where we don't play great, but just he sticks with it and he gives everyone a role on the team mm-hmm. that they take big, big pride in, um, whether that's killers, power play guys. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and then I think just the most important thing is just the confidence in our group, honestly. I... Like I said, early on, it felt like we couldn't win a game. Like it was impossible to win a game. Yep. No confidence. No one was playing, um, you know, anywhere near to their potential. And 
now everyone's you know feeling good about themselves and then the games just it just feels so much easier right uh, does he say anything on the bench? I watch him, and he looks like he's like comatose. Like he just he, he leans against the glass. He never looks like he says a word. Like what's it? Like sometimes I wonder because like some coaches are famous for okay, the play stopped. I know the camera's on me. Don't do anything. Pack win, and then and Ken Hitchcock. Was, yeah. And when the game starts, he's all over you. Yeah. Like what's what's Knobloch like on the bench? Um, he's really calm. Um, that's his demeanor, though. Um, every day, it's not uh, it's not a bench act or anything like that. That's that's just who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, he's super calm. But um, to his credit, when when you need to hear his voice, um, you do hear it. You know, mm-hmm. he, he uh, either pointing out something that you've done really good, or you know, vice versa. Obviously, so um, something you've done bad. So. What what, you know, makes, what makes him mad? Like what what like what, uh, what what's, makes him mad? I mean, does he same, get mad? Like, yeah, we've, yeah he's gotten uh, mad a couple times. You can hear him on the bench screaming game. at guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was he mad at? He doesn't like turnover. bad line, line changes. Yeah. Turnovers, turnovers. The typical, You know, one of the things that um, I mean, this is historical too. Like one of the things that great teams can do is uh, win games that they're quote unquote not supposed to. Like when you look at this streak where there are a couple of because like great teams like can surf on skill, like your skill can just sort of carry you through a game and you get the two points and you, you take it and leave. Um, any games stand out that at the end of it, you said it's hard to play like so many great games in a row. Were there any games that you said, OK, let's just take the two points here, guys. That wasn't our best effort. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, for sure. Yeah, like we won 16 in a row. Like we weren't the better team in all 16. You know, there's lots of lots of games where I think we deserved to win and we were the better team. But I think Dave was said it uh, in an interview a couple of days ago. It's it's just been our whole group. You know, some one night it's goalie Stewie or picks. Yep. You know, having an unbe- unbelievable performance. The next night it's. Our third line chipping in, our kill has been, I don't know, I can't believe, I can't remember the last time we gave up a, a goal on the power play. Mm-hmm. They've been lights out on the kill. So, like he said, it's just been like the whole team doing it together. Um, so, yeah. I wanted to ask, uh, like, I know you guys talk with Ken Holland a bit, like, you're not changing anything when you've won 16 in a row. But do you guys look at it and say, if there's one thing we could add, I'd love it to be this? Do you do, you do much of that? Um, yeah, of course, we're always talking to Kenny. Mm-hmm. Um, he's great that way, always mm-hmm. including us, including other guys. And um, obviously, we appreciate that and give our input where we see fit. But obviously, the team's rolling pretty pretty good right now. Um, you know, we feel good about our, <laughs> our goaltending trio uh, if you will, you mm-hmm. know, we, we still have soup and, um, you know, I think, uh, one of those three guys can, can get it done or a combination of all three. And, um, we feel good about all six D men. Um, I think that they've been playing, playing really, really well. Um, and up front, like Leo said, we've been getting contributions all over and, um, the penalty pills, the penalty kill has been great. And, you know, those guys have really, um, really own that which is great to see um they they love it they love uh they love taking ownership of the kill and and it's it's great for our group and if there's one thing i could um i don't know i uh i'm thankful that uh that that i don't have to make that decision and um that's why they pay kenny the big bucks (laughs) 
Okay, did one of you want to rip the leaf hat off of Will Arnett last night? <laughs> kind of. We, we were saying somebody should have said something on, on air. It was just too easy. Like, but we didn't really. Couldn't, couldn't hear anything yeah. on the ice. Oh, like, couldn't, we were standing on yeah. the ice with the mics and all that. Like we yeah. couldn't hear anything, so it's kind of hard to like interact and banter. Like yeah. we would like we would like to, you know, talk with the other group a little bit, other groups and teams and stuff, but. I couldn't yeah. hear. I couldn't hear a thing. Oh. So we were. It was. <laughs> yeah. We were kind of just trying to get through it. Um, you know, but I thought it was a fun event. Yeah, it's good. Um, when you're as good as you guys are, uh, rivalries are pretty easy to get going. Um, I am curious. <coughs> finish this sentence. The team I most like to beat is blank. Good question. Probably. Uh, for me, it's 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 Calgary and and LA right now. Uh, I would say those two. Yeah, L.A., um, Vancouver, because they slapped us around a little bit a couple times this year. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, I'd like to get some redemption there. What do you think of the latest move? He's good. Mm -hmm. Really good player. Um, obviously, um, you know, they're, they're all in. They're going for it. So, yeah. um, good pickup. You guys are impressive. Um, thanks for putting the rumors to rest. We'll have to start a new conspiracy theory, Connor. Sounds good. <laughs> thanks, boys. I really loved Connor McDavid playing along with the Jersey Tuck conspiracy theory, as Elliot mentioned off the top of the show today. That was a lot of fun, and I hope you enjoyed that interview. And again, they're playing on Tuesday, and I can't wait for that game. Uh, in the meantime, we very much look forward to any mixing of the Winnipeg Jets and the Vancouver Canucks, two top teams in the NHL. We sat down with the two Ricks on Friday morning as well. About three minutes after the news broke that Todd McClellan was no longer the coach of the Los Angeles Kings. Here are the Ricks, Bonus, and Talkit on 32. Rick Bonus and Rick Talkit, two coaches who have new centers to drive. Uh, first of all, thanks so much for uh, for joining us here. This is unique, Elliot, talking to two coaches, two rival coaches in the Western Conference. So why don't we... We're friends. What's we're that? rivals, but we're friends. Yes. Uh, until the playoffs start, right? Until and the then playoffs. it's uh, banging the glass at each other. Um, <laughs> you know what might be fun? Um, Rick, I want to get your thoughts on the Winnipeg Jets. Which Rick? I was going to say Rick Talkin. <laughs> yes. Your thoughts on the Winnipeg Jets. Rick Bonus, your thoughts on the Vancouver Canucks. Mr. Bonus, we'll start with you. Okay. Listen, I, I love what he's done going in there ever since he took over. You, you see more structure. You see more compete. And you see them playing more as a team. And they're, and they're playing for each other out there. And it's very obvious. They're, they play a high-tempo game. They're putting pressure on you all over the ice. Obviously, they can score goals. And they're doing a much better job defensively because of the structure that uh, Rick and his staff have put in there but since he's taken over it's a remarkable turnaround mm -hmm. and it's a credit to Rick and his staff but man they're 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 a really good team they're legitimate they are they they can score they can defend and you don't go anywhere in our league without great goaltending and they get that as well so it's a well-balanced team very well coached team and it's going to be a tough opponent for us Rick Tockett well the I mean, Jets first of all the guys coach more games. Like, what I'm impressed about, because I'm a stress ball, this guy coached more <laughs> games and the look as good as Bonesy's is. Um, I, I, I Listen, it's ditto for me. I watched the back-to-back -back games against uh, the Leafs. Uh, watched a bunch of games lately with the Jets. We're going to be playing a bunch coming up. Yeah. Um, really hard team to play against. A really hard team plays. I love their third-line size. Uh, like what Bonesy's done with his defense. Um, you know, obviously both teams have really good goaltending, which is great. 
I know Bonesy teaches, preaches the same thing I do, but let the goalies play half the net. Um, I just love the fact that when you play a team, you know you're in for a battle. You know, you play the Winnipeg Jets. If you're going to leave there with two points, you know, there's going to be some bumps and bruises mm-hmm. uh, if you come out of their building with two points. So I think the, the, I think it's just Bonesy's attitude, play without the puck. I've learned a lot from Bonesy with that. Mm-hmm. You know, he's obviously ran great defense in his day, uh, coached some really good defensive teams in a sense. Not, not, we're not talking about, you know, I'm like him. I, I love to play without the puck. Um, and then you create your offense from there. But when you watch their team, uh, the player of the puck really impresses me. See, the similarities would be that they both take great pride in being hard to play against. Mm-hmm. I know our players do, and I, everything I read about their team, they do that. And that's an important part of, of coaching these guys. They take pride in that. So when they walk out of the rink, they know the opposition had to work for those two points, as he just mentioned. So I know the way they play. I know the way we play. And I know our players particularly take great pride in being play very hard against. And when we're not, they know. Right. It bothers them, and that and that's what that's what we didn't have last year. This year we have it, and we're not playing on top of our game. They know why, and it bothers them that we're we're too easy to play against, and and that's a great fact for us. Hmm. Um, it's it's pretty interesting to see. I, I I really enjoy listening to that. I also wanted to ask. So both of you guys, your organizations made a trade this week. Sean Monahan to Winnipeg, just as we were sitting down. Elias Lindholm to Vancouver the other day. How much? Uh, did, how much? involved are you guys in the process like how much does your manager tell you how much influence like do you have have you guys ever like i don't know vetoed is the right word but ever your manager comes to you and said don't do that no matter what please don't do that does that ever happen i haven't had that i think uh when it comes to the point where the 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 team is actually close to making a trade that's when the coaches get involved and, and then they get your thought we don't need to hear every potential trade we don't need to hear that we need to know when it's getting close and then they're coming to i know Chevy comes to us and says, okay, what do you guys think if we do this? And probably the same with Jimmy and talk. So, um, yeah, and Peter. The, uh, yeah, that's, I think, again, when we were getting close, they'd let us know that we were close. We can do this. Do you want it? And, you know, so obviously we're going to support something like that. We're getting a very versatile player in my hand. We hear nothing but great things about his character. And we, we've got a great culture in Winnipeg now. We've got a really good chemistry. So one of the concerns, okay, we're going to put somebody into that room. How's it going to fit? And we hear nothing great things about his character. And the room we have, we know that he, Sean's going to fit right in with us. <clears throat> yeah, the, the process, and I know one's the same way as, you know, we coach, you know, whatever play, then that's the, the attitude we have to have. Whoever's in our room, that's who we coach. You know, we don't play general manager. But I'm very lucky, and I know Bonesy's got a great manager group uh, with uh, Patrick and Jim. They communicate all the time. They always ask me, you know, actually, sometimes, what do you need? Hmm. Um, and you got to be careful because, you know, I'd want, I, want everything, I want everything, but <laughs> you got you know, you to have, you know, you have certain... Uh, things that you need. But for, for, for me, it's a communication with your general manager, which is outstanding. And I know uh, we talked a couple, two, three weeks ago, Patrick said, here's a target. What do you think? So you start to watch a few games. You get Gonch and, and Footy and you know, Yosey to start looking at them. You know, the odd time, you know, uh, you know, you were your team. Hey, let's take a look at this guy. What do you think? Where can you fit him? So that's where it kind of gets some legs. But at the end of the day, um, you know, those guys are, you know, they're making the deals and uh, they're just going off kind of our opinion. But uh, they use us, uh, use us as a resource for sure. Uh, I know, I'm, I know better than to ask who, but I will, because uh, I know you won't tell me. But have you ever said to a general manager, "Please don't do that," or "I don't think that's a good idea"? I haven't. Never, eh? No, I have. 
Okay. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I don't, no. uh, you don't have to say who, but can you kind of talk about why you said no? Well, the, the, even, the, but I've been a part of a roundtable where they'll ask you, hey, we're going to get this guy. What's your opinion? And and I would say whatever, even as a sister head, I, I don't think it would be a good foot because of here, you know, these these, these reasons. Mm-hmm. Then obviously the general manager makes the decision. Yeah. But I, I do give my opinion on that for yeah. sure. When they get to that point, they're like, okay, if we make this trade, where do you see him fitting in? Mm-hmm. Right? And then you got to go through that whole, yeah. whole process. Sure. That, like, that's happened. Sure. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I've never gone to, oh, geez, don't even touch that guy. No, that hasn't happened. But one thing coaches will do, and I'm sure it talks is the same thing. We hear, okay, we're getting close. Make some calls. Find out a little bit more about yeah. the character mm-hmm. of the guy. Does he, is he a good teammate? Does he have good practice habits? Is he a good pro? You, we, we'll, we'll make our calls on those things for the, yeah, get, just get a little bit hmm. more information on the player. So with the, uh, with the two new centers coming in, uh, I'm sure you have an idea in your mind, you know, where they're going to fit in, who they're going to play with. Uh, I'm curious always, you know, who gets impacted when a new player comes in? Um, the sort of cascading effect, like who's in a different spot now, who gets reduced ice time, um, starting with Monaghan coming in. How does how does this cascade through well, the team? Well, we'll slide him right into our second line with uh, Cole Perfetti and Nick Ehlers. And so somebody, well, Vladdy's been there all year and he's done a wonderful job for us. So probably his ice time gets affected right away. And, and it, it does go, it does slide down. And that's the conversation you have with the general manager. Okay, you're going to bring this guy in. How's he going to fit? Where are you going to put him? Who's going to be right. affected by this? And are they going to be offended by that? Uh, but I think if when our players see this trade, this guy's going to help our team. He gives us a better chance to win the Stanley Cup. So maybe it's going to affect some ice time and the rolls and everything else. But if you're there to win the Stanley Cup, then you get over it. And you, and just, mm-hmm. and you, you do the best job you can with the ice time you're given. Yeah, sometimes you get, I know over the trades over the years, sometimes you got to be careful because the team loses a little bit of a whatever their chemistry. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's going to be a problem for us because it's obviously going to increase our penalty kill uh, deployment. And obviously, Lindholm's a really good penalty killer, the right handed shot for the face off. Um, so these are needs that you know the players know that we need this. Um, there'll be like Bozzi said, there'll be a couple guys get a little little less, couple minutes here and there. But if you want to be a Stanley Cup team, um, you got to fit the puzzle. And sometimes some guys got to learn to play 10 minutes one night, and they might play 13. And uh, it's all about the team. Um, yeah. And I think that's really what it comes yeah. down to. And the timing. Like, the, the, yeah. both these trades are at the perfect time. You're in the 1st of February, coming out of the All-Star break. You're not doing it right at the all, at the uh, trade deadline, hoping yeah. this works. Now we've got mm. time to make this work, right? We've got time to work with them, uh, both of our uh, the, the centermen, and, and see where they fit best and mm. how they're going to help us the best. We know we got good players, but now it's, that, it's fitting them in now and not right at the very deadline where you're running out of time in a hurry and there's very little practice time in March when Do, you, once they get a deadline. That's important. Yes. I, I was going to say, does it feel like a scramble when you get a, when you get a player or players at deadline? Like, oh, geez, okay, all of a sudden now my manager's dumped, you know, two new defensemen and a, and a right winger on me. Let's try to – and it's almost like, you know, house on fire, house on fire. Does it feel that way for a coach? Uh, well, for me, it's, it's – like I don't want to give this guy too much. Like I think sometimes when you, you trade for a guy – Sometimes you give the guy to this is your you know, this is what we do here this system this is what you do like you want the kid to play and I think it's important that hmm. we, we got him th- with Bonesy and uh, with Monahan thirty games so we have a lot of time in the sense of whether it's video one on one time with a coach uh, we're not cramming right now um, I think when you get the guy at the trade deadline sometimes you got to cram you know you got to really get this guy in the, in, in the lineup and you, you're trying to get your system so we're gonna have some time here. 
Uh, and you know, even like living, like where he's gonna live, mm. get him comfortable. Like, you know, I've been traded before. Like, you know, you're, you're at the trade deadline. You know, you're where am I going? What hotel? The first two three weeks is tough. I'm gonna tell you. So, getting his family acclimated with Vancouver and all that stuff is huge mm-hmm. to make yeah. this guy feel comfortable for the next thirty, you know, thirty yeah. games. Does he like rain? Like, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, just their daily routine. <laughs> have to go there. <laughs> their daily routine of what time they go to the rink and how long does it take them to get to the rink and all those yeah. things. Right? Yeah, it, like they, they all come into the park, yeah. right? And you're leaving your family behind right. for a little bit until you get it all settled. So it's very upsetting for a player, and, it, and it's and it's good that we've made these trades as early as we have to give them time to get all those pieces together and that's why sorry uh, and Bozzi will tell you too is important that your team you know brings this guy like he's part of the family you know I've been on some teams where you you got transition where it's just seamless and then you get some other teams maybe not as close and the guy feels he's on an island so you know uh, our organization is you know and I know Winnipeg the same thing great resource uh, staff even the people outside the hockey part um, are incredible so I think it's going to really help make him feel comfortable in in the city yeah, and both of those players are come from teams that probably uh, might not make the playoffs. Right. But they're both coming to good teams that should be challenging for the playoff spot. So that's a that's a big uplift for them. I have, I joke like before I retire, get kicked out of this job. I want to cover a Canadian team, win the Stanley Cup. I left university in '93, which is the last time a Canadian yeah. team won it. You guys have both have really good teams in Canada. Do you guys think about that bringing the Stanley Cup back? to this country? I mean, I'd, I'd lie if I say, you know, as a Canadian kid, I mean, it's a dream. Um, but I try not to go there because I, I'm a day-to-day guy. And, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of pressure that hits our team and, and Bulgy's team as, as this gets going. So, But I'd be lying if I'm not, you know, daydreaming of, uh, you know, yeah. holding a Stanley Cup in Vancouver. I mean, that'd be the ultimate. And being Canadian, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of good Canadian teams that have a shot. You know, there's a lot of good Canadian teams, which is which I think is great for the AHL, but it's also great for the country. So, uh, yeah, you yeah. know, but you go back to '11 when in Vancouver we went to Game yep. Seven with the Bruins. Oh, so we yeah. we got all that hype for that whole thing with the Canadian market. Sure. So we were hoping to bring it back in '11. We lost in Game Seven back in Vancouver. But yeah, so I I know the the pride the Canadians take in bringing that cup back to the the. Uh, to the country but again we're, we're a big you always have a big picture but we are day to day we have to take care of things day to day and in the back of our minds yeah there's a bigger picture but we our job is to take care of the details every day and not miss anything the last one for me jeff is as we sat down here the news broke that uh the kings made a coaching change i'm wondering about the coaching fraternity um you guys sit here. It's fascinating to listen to you guys and how you play off each other. But I know when the Jets and the Canucks face each other, even if it's game 56 of the season, you guys are going to be fierce rivals. So I wonder about the coaching fraternity when the news comes like it did today with L.A. Um, just what do you guys think about? Do you reach out? Like, how do the coaching fraternity handle news like this well i've been fired more than he has <laughs> and i know how to no you know what it's upsetting because we've been through it and i always reach out to the coaches that have been replaced and i'll reach out to todd at some point uh, but yeah we when you go through that people don't understand how hard it hits your heart and it hits your heart hits your family it hits your friends it hits a lot more people than just oh, the coaches fired it hits a lot of people and it upsets a lot of lives 
and I always feel terrible when a coach gets fired. I really do, and uh, I hate to see it. I know we all sign up for it. It's all part of the business, and mm -hmm. you got to have tough skin. You got to be able to handle it because eventually it's going to happen. Um, but when it does happen, it's it, I, I get upset for the coaches that are fired because I've had to live it. I've had to go home and tell my kids I got fired today. Like that, that's tough. Mm -hmm. That's a tough thing to do, and you're pulling them out of the school and you're making them go to different cities and move them around. That's a tough thing to do. So it's it, media. Uh, Todd McClellan fired. Well, th there's a lot of people that are affected by that, and it's upsetting to a lot of lives. Mm. The way I look at it, like, you know, I've had some good buddies get fired. I've got fired. You know, my good buddy Craig Bruby gets fired. Yeah. Won a Stanley Cup three, what, three, four years ago. Tom McCollin's a hell of a coach. Like, just because you get fired doesn't mean you're a bad coach. These are great coaches. Um, and whether it's right or wrong, uh, that's, you know, that's, that's the, for everybody to debate. Um, but I do feel for guys, but I, I, I marvel at guys like Bonesy and stuff that have been fired before and they, they just dust themselves up and they get right back in it. Like, you know what I mean? Hmm. Um, I, I, I marvel at that. I think it's, uh, there's a lot of stress, in, there's a lot of stress, but I think for me, you swing the bat. You know, you're gonna coach your way, you're gonna swing, you try not to, you know, you obviously you have your select people that you listen to, but you, you can't listen to the outside noise because if you do, you're probably gonna get fired a lot more and probably not gonna get back in the game. So I like to swing the bat at it and you, you know, you take your shot, right? Yeah. Craig Berube, Todd McCullen, we've all, you know, there's going to be some other great coaches get fired. You know, I'm going to get fired. I think you just got to swing the bat and, and go for it. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. But when I got fired and the kids were all in school, like, we always had a family discussion. Okay, if this is upsetting you too much, do, does dad do something else? Do you hmm. want me to get a hockey? Ah. And, and, and not once did the kids ever say, yeah. no, dad, maybe it's time. We're, we're tired of moving. Every time I got fired, we had that discussion. And they said, dad, we're a hockey family. And we're going to stay in it. So you go, you know, stay with it. We got to move. We got to move. And that's a credit to Judy because she's like after all that, right? She's got to take her of the schools and get everything packed up. We're we're moving again. We're going to a new city. And the one thing with Judy, excuse me, she always said doesn't. We're a family no matter where we live. Yeah, we're going to move to a different house. We're going to move to a different city, but we're still a family. And that's the most important thing. So, uh, yeah, we always had those discussions. And they all said, no, Dad, you're a hockey coach and we're a hockey family. Mm. Keep moving. I love that answer. That's um, awesome. Rick Tocker, final one to you. I'm really curious. We were with one of your former broadcast colleagues last night, Paul Bissonnette, at the uh, Chicklets Live event. I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. Like, I know you guys like the juice of a win and a loss and, and needing to feel both. Um, but do you miss it at all? Do you miss doing TV? Because yeah, that show was like, I, that was I, I, By the way, Barubi is taking your spot. Yeah, I got, him, I got him that job. But, uh, the, <laughs> do you get 10%? Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. You Find might, your feet. <laughs> so how that works? Is St. Louis take, uh, be quiet, man. They might take some of that money. Like our side. No, um, I loved it. That setting there, uh, the way they treated me, the TNT, the whole experience, I yeah. do miss it. I, I miss the camaraderie with AC and and uh, Liam and uh, Biz and then when, when Wayne's there, um, yeah. we had a, we had a blast. Uh, and the way they prepare you and the way you do things, um, I enjoy it. Uh, I miss it. You know, who knows? Might uh, like to go back eventually someday. Maybe or not. You know, they fill that seat, but it's. Uh, I've had a blast there. Hundred percent. You did a great job. Yeah. yeah. And you're both doing a great job behind the benches. Um, Ricks, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Okay, that's Rick Tockett and Rick Bonus, head coach of the Vancouver Canucks and Winnipeg Jets, respectively. Listen, folks, that was a long one. Everything was long this weekend. All Star was long. You could argue the skills competition was long, and certainly 
This podcast was long. If you're hearing my voice at this point, bless you. There's a special place in heaven reserved just for you. The podcast returns Friday morning. Enjoy your week. 